Hi, my name is Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. Um, we have been working through the book of Exodus uh, for a long time, four score and seven years ago or something like that, uh, a long, long time in the book of Exodus. And as we uh, come today, we come to the, the sixth commandment. Um, God is not an accidental God. He's not an accidental God. And uh, last week we looked at the idea of coveting and how coveting is such a serious sin um, because the idea of coveting, longing for something that does not belong to you, leads to murder and lying and adultery and all of these other things. So it is a sin which kind of engulfs a number of the other commandments, but it's also a sin which is committed against God himself. Um, that, that sin uh, is idolatry, is what Paul says in Colossians and Ephesians. And so um, today we come to this idea of the sixth commandment, thou shalt not murder. Don't murder. Don't murder. Most of us, uh, if we just turn off right there, we'd go check. But please don't turn off yet. Don't, don't turn it off. Um, as we look at this very important topic, um, Jesus is going to make this very, very, very practical for us. Now, when we look at this idea, you should not murder. Um, the word right here for murder is rasak. Rasak. We learned a uh, Hebrew word last week. This week we look at rasak. Rasak. And it means this. It means to kill, uh, to slay. It's used for the idea of killing when there's violence involved. Now, it, it can also cover both the active idea of murder and the intentional idea of negligence. So when we look at this word, we have to look at a lot of different ideas here. Now, some would try to use this commandment to prohibit everything from intentional murder, which we believe is wrong and sinful, but to killing in times of war or to self-defense or even capital punishment. Now, are, do you feel the tension like I do? Well, I'm, I'm standing here. I know what is happening in the world around us as I preach this sermon and I have had this sermon in this sermon series planned for months and months and months. 
And I've just asked the Lord to help us navigate that tension. That tension. Because there are wars going on in our world. Now, there are texts in the Bible that indicate that capital punishment and killing in times of war can be allowable. And so we've got to take the Bible for what it is and not what we want it to be. So there is a difference between murder and oftentimes in the scripture, instead of murder, it'll say this person was put to death. And it's the difference between the killing of the innocent and the killing of those who are guilty of a crime. Now, there are some examples of that. Again, this commandment, do not murder, is the idea of killing with violence the innocent. This is the idea of intentionally neglecting uh, what ought to be done to protect the life of the innocent. And there are some examples in the Bible. In the book of Genesis, God tells Noah, he says, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. You remember that? Right after they get off the boat, he makes a covenant with um, with Noah, and this is what he says. In Exodus 32, just a few chapters after the chapter that we're in, do you remember Moses goes up on the mountain? Uh, to he's, he's been long, he's receiving the Ten Commandments, he's been long up there, and the people of Israel kind of provoke Aaron and say, hey, we don't know what happened to the Moses fella and the God who led us all this far, um, but so can you make us uh, some gods to follow? And he made a golden calf. And do you remember what happened when Moses came down off the mountain? In Exodus 32, uh, Moses told the Levites to strap on their sword and kill those idolaters. And that day about 3,000 people were killed. And Moses even said that the Levites received a blessing because of their obedience. Now this is hard. What do we do with that? Joshua in, in the book of Joshua, I think it's chapter 7, Joshua commanded that Achan be killed because he was coveting forbidden things. And all Israel stoned Achan and his family and then burned them with fire. And the Lord turned from his anger in that. David orders the death of the one who claimed to kill King Saul. So you, you see in the Old Testament, there is this idea of there was... Um, a putting to death of the guilty of a crime, and there's a distinction between that and the killing of an innocent person. The ancient Hebrew text even makes kind of a, a distinction between the moral and legal prohibition of shedding innocent blood and killing in battle. There is a, a difference. There's a rabbi, Mark Gelman, he explains the distinction between the two different words, harag and ratzah, and notes that there are different moral connotations. There's wide moral agreement, he says. Not, not complete agreement, but there's wide moral agreement that some forms of killing are morally just, he says, and killing an enemy combatant during wartime is one of them. Now, do you feel the tension? It's hard to think about with what's going on in our world. But because it's hard doesn't mean we ought not deal with it. How many of us, we're, we're sweeping under the rug kind of people. So we come across something hard, we just go, I'll come back to that later with no intention ever to get to it. This is why I preach through the Bible verse by verse and chapter by chapter. Why? 
because it makes me deal with things that make me nervous. This is, I think, what it means to be faithful to being a preacher of God's Word. Is that I don't preach what you want to hear and what I want to preach, but I preach what God says. Okay? So we've got to deal with this. This idea. Now, we, it brings a huge question to mind for me that I've had to wrestle with this week, and, and I, I don't know of my perfect answer, but we have to answer the question, is there a difference between just war and murder? Now, we, we've got to admit that there are wars that are not just and wars that are. But is there a difference between just war and murder? We've got to be clear here. There is a difference between the two. And there are times in battle that you may have to kill somebody who is trying to kill you. And maybe some of you in military have experienced just that. And you bear the weight of that in your life every day that you took a life into your own hands. Maybe an army might have to kill someone to protect the lives of the innocent. Sometimes that's what police officers do. Is this breaking the command to not murder? No. If somebody breaks into your house and tries to hurt you in the night, do I have the right as an American citizen or as just as a, a, a Christian to arm myself, defend my family, and uh, in protecting my family, potentially take the life of somebody? I think the answer is yes. I know the answer is yes. In fact, in the book of Exodus, the next few chapters of Exodus actually go on in more detail about some of these Ten Commandments, but Exodus 22.2 says, If a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall not be blood guilt on him. But here's where all of this idea of just war gets muddy for me. It's when you add people into it. Because justness sometimes goes out the window when you add sinners into the equation. If God were always the one deciding just and unjust, that would be an easy discussion, wouldn't it? But I, to my knowledge, no soldier in battle has ever had a red light and a green light from God. Save what we see in Scripture. But because of sinful humanity, there are many times where just war becomes murder. And even when capital punishment is enjoyed by the one doling it out, and that capital punishment can become murder in intent, in heart. War ought not to be taken lightly. The death of any person is never a thought to be celebrated. Doesn't matter who they are, what they have done. Why? 
Because in an instant, the death of that person apart from Christ is condemning them to an eternity sentenced under the condemnation of a holy, just, wrathful God. And that's a scary thought, isn't it? It should not be celebrated. War should never be taken lightly. And we must always, as Christians, think scripturally, not nationally. I should have written this in my notes because I might get in trouble here. It's okay to question our government. Because our government is made up of sinners. It's okay okay to question our leaders. Because they're made of sinners. We've got to. First, where is your citizenship? Where is your first citizenship? Heaven. And so we must be, our allegiance must be there. Now, is that heavy or what? Wowzer. What a way to kill a great song, right? You're welcome. Christopher just said good job. Thank you very much. So, okay, the question that we need to ask today is, really briefly, why is it a sin to murder? And here, here it is. It is it's a sin to murder because murder is an assault against God as creator and life giver. God has created every living being, knit them together inside of their mother's womb. Those who are born into a, I'm going to put this in air quotes, in quotations, a religious family, and those who are not. Every single one of them have been knit together by the very hands of God and have been given inside the womb a a purpose for life and a desire that God would redeem each and every one of those people. Now, every life matters to God. And here's what it says in Genesis chapter 4, verse 10. I think we've got this on the screen. It says, And the Lord said, this is Cain who killed Abel. What have you done? And look at this verse. It says, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And he says to Cain who killed Abel, Now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. It is an assault against God as creator and life giver. And second one is in Genesis chapter 9, which I mentioned a moment ago, but look at it on the screen. And God says to Noah, and for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. I'll require a reckoning. From every beast, I'll require it from man. From his fellow man, I'll require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. That's the idea of capital punishment. For God made man in his own image. It's an assault against God as creator and life giver. And we have been created in his image, knitted together in the mother's womb. And we have been created on purpose for a purpose. Every person. And so we believe that any attempt to take innocent life into our own hands. To take life away from someone before God does is sin. Now. Again, most of us, if we're just trying to keep the letter of the law, we say, check. I haven't done that. Now, how do we murder? 
How do we murder? Now, the obvious one, the obvious how do we murder is with our hands. With our hands. Um, three ways, okay, that I want to explain to you. Three ways that we murder. One is with our hands. And the Bible's full of examples. Cain kills Abel. Pharaoh kills all the male children in Egypt or in, in Israel. David kills Uriah. Saul, Paul, in the New Testament, um, is murdering uh, Christians who are following Christ. And, and so there are a lot of different examples of in different ways where people are killed. Now, in our day, there is everything from abortion to euthanasia. And we must, as a church, say, if every person is knit together inside the womb and life begins at conception, then that life matters. Therefore, abortion is ending life before God does. Therefore, abortion is murder and so is euthanasia. Now, I knew I could get amens on that. We ought to amen that, but we don't believe simply that birth matters. We believe that life matters. And so for Christians, if we're going to say amen to abortion is not right and it is sin, then we need to be the ones that step in to help young mothers. We need to be the ones that step in to help adopt children and foster children and take care of the children that we want to see born into the world. Why? Because God has knitted them together, wants them to be saved, and wants to use them in his kingdom purposes. Now listen to me. That's easy. But it means the church has to rise up. Anytime we decide to take innocent life into our own hands is problematic. Now lean in. Maybe you are in this room and for some reason or another you chose at some point in time or another to have an abortion. I want you to know that God loves you. And your sin does not change that fact. God loves you. And he has forgiveness for you. There is no sin that you can commit that God is not able to forgive if you ask. Maybe you're a man and you have forced that upon a lady. Your hands are just as bloody. But praise God, there is someone who with his blood can take you and wash you and make you white as snow. Now the first way we murder is with our hands. The second way we murder is in our hearts. Now I want you to point you to the scripture Maybe in your Bible, because we're not really camping out in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 5. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus takes some of the uh, commandments that you might be familiar with and the Jews were familiar with, and he takes them and he brings light to them and sheds light on them. And so this is what he does in, in their hearts. So Okay, so Jesus takes the Old Testament commandments and remember he says i did not come to abolish the law but rather i came to do what to it fulfill it i came to fulfill the law so he said i came to fulfill the law and he adds light to it the light 
of God, the light of the glory of God. He shows us what perfection really is. And if we're going to trust in our own righteousness to get to heaven, let me show you the level of righteousness that you have to have if you're going to get there on your own. So, okay, with our hands, the second in our hearts. Let's look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. This is what it says. You've heard it said that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Now, what were every religious leader and Jewish person thinking in that moment? Check. Haven't done that. Right? And, and if we were to just think about the letter of the law, every single one of us could go away from here feeling 10 feet tall and going, yes, I didn't do that one. There's a but. Why? Because Jesus is not going after the letter of the law. What's he coming for? The heart. He's coming for our hearts. And he says, but I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. You ever been angry? Not you, huh? Just, just me again? God, man, y'all need a new pastor, I guess, because this one's sinful. You ever been angry at somebody? You ever held on to resentment? Bitterness? And Jesus says anger equals murder. He says, you heard it said, don't commit murder. But I say to you, if you're angry, you're liable to the same kind of judgment. One commentator says about this verse, he says that for Jesus to extract the true meaning of the Old Testament law meant to break with the received rabbinical teaching of the day. So when Jesus says, I say to you, but I say to you, he's not setting himself against Moses, but against those whose interpretations of the law have turned God's covenant of grace into a covenant of works. He's saying, when you're trying to work your way in to heaven, you have missed the boat. Because God's covenant was never intended that we would do all the law so that we would get into heaven. But the law is given to show us how sinful we are. He goes on. He says, for too many people, righteousness is a matter of obeying all the rules. Jesus actually teaches that the rules require us to go deeper than the shallow religion that the rabbis might suggest. Today, Jesus wants to come to your heart. He wants to get down to the heart of your matter. Whatever, whatever's going on in your life, He wants to come to you and bring out the darkness in our heart. We often just think about outward action, but Jesus is pointing us to a disposition inside. John Wesley says it this way. He said, Our Lord here ranks under the head of murder even that anger which goes no farther than the heart. In other words, you don't have to have some fit of rage. But the anger that's in your heart, he says, which does not show itself by outward unkindness, no, not so much as a passionate word. 
And Jesus comes to point out the anger that we have. Matthew 15, 19 says it like this. For out of the heart come evil thoughts. What's the next word? Murder. Where does he say it comes from? Out of the heart. Have you ever been angry at somebody? I sure have. I sure have. Have you ever carried a grudge? I sure have. Bitterness towards someone? The way that you were treated? What they did to you? I have. This reminds us that we live under the sovereign rule of the one who sees everything. Even the thoughts and intentions of our heart. Third way we murder. Third way we murder is with our words. Now go on in Matthew chapter 5 and let's look at what it says. Look down at verse uh, 22. But I say to you, everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Remember, he said, you've heard it said, don't murder. But I say to you, don't get angry. And you better be careful with your words. Have your words ever got you into trouble? Now, in America, um, in America, we have something called the Miranda rights. Uh, it's something along these lines. If you're being arrested, they'll... The officer will warn you uh, regarding your rights, and he says, you have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. It's a good reminder of this truth. Now, some of us in the room say, now, officer, I know I have the right to be silent, but I don't know if I have the ability to. Right? <laughs> have you ever heard the illustration of the toothpaste tube? Uh, there's a game that we would play as a youth pastor sometimes when talking about words. Is you'd get a toothpaste tube and you'd have a competition between students and you'd say, who can squeeze the toothpaste out the quickest onto a, a plate? And inevitably, somebody would win. And then you'd say, okay, next game. Who can get it back into the toothpaste tube the fastest? And that's like words, isn't it? Have words ever come out of your mouth and the moment they reached your lips, you said, oh no, I can never eat those words again. You can't get them back in there, can you? And, and I've said this before to this church, sticks and stones may break my bones, but what? Words will never hurt me. There's no bigger lie than that right there, is it? Hit me with a stick. But your words will destroy me. And, and maybe, maybe you have uh, experienced just that. Now, Solomon says it this way in Proverbs 18. He says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Your words have the ability to bring death. And your words have the ability to bring life into other people. How do our words cause death? Listen to me, lean in. Gossip. Gossip is death bringing. 
It's death bringing to relationships. It is death bringing to families. It is death bringing to churches. Gossip is deadly. Now, in the church, we mask them as prayer requests. Hey, I just need you to know, I don't know if you've heard, but you need to be praying for so-and-so. Did you hear what they did? No? Okay, let me tell you all about it. Slander. See, gossip is revealing other people's business without them being present. Slander is attacking the reputation and character of a person. And that brings death. Harsh words. Harsh words. Now, this could just be a, a slew of them. Name-calling. You fool. Isn't that what the Scripture said? You fool. You know, we would probably easily think that you fool is not so bad of a choice, but given the choices of words that I could say. Jesus says, it's murder in your mouth. Death-bringing words. Sarcasm. How many of you, that's your love language or spiritual gift? Sarcasm? Okay. Some of us, we don't know how to communicate in any other way other than sarcasm. And sarcasm has a place and a time, but it should not be the content of our tongues. Over-disciplining our children. I have no idea about that. Over-disciplining our children. Over-correcting. Beating down with words. Chiding. Always fussing at them. Nagging. Arguing. Death-bringing words. Do you remember what, what, what Paul says in Ephesians 4? He said, don't let any unwholesome talk comes out of your, come out of your mouth, but only what's good for doing what? Building up. And words, often we'll, we use them as weapons to tear down rather than to build up. Are you with me, church? That ought not be true in God's church. And Jesus says, when you use words incorrectly, you wound and kill with your words. We, kill, we murder with our hands, we murder in our hearts with anger, resentment, bitterness, rage, malice. And we murder with, murder with our mouths when we slander and gossip and tear down. Jesus goes on to say, you either got to make a tree good and its fruit good or make a tree bad and its fruit bad for the tree is known by its fruit. This is Matthew 12. He, he says, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth does what? Speak. Ryan Perry version. What comes out of your mouth Reveals the content of your heart. Is that hard or what?
He said, the good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. The evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. There's going to come a moment where we account for every word that we've said. By your words, Jesus says, you'll be justified. By your words, you'll be condemned. Now, here's what he means. Not that your salvation is in whether I use my mouth for good or for evil, but rather, the abundance, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So we'll know what's in here by what comes out of here. But on the other hand, listen to me, church. Our Hands, our hearts, and our words ought to be a conduit that God would use for bringing life to people. I mean, think about it. God spoke the world into existence. It was a conduit for God. Words were a conduit of life. Jesus is the Word of God. Ezekiel chapter 37, there was a valley of dry bones. God asks Ezekiel, can these dry bones live? Ezekiel says, O Lord, you know. God says to Ezekiel, prophesy. Speak my words over them. And he did. And when he spoke God's word over them, what happened? They came to life. Words have the ability to do that. And we, church need to learn how to use our hands, our hearts, and our words as a conduit that the life of God might flow through. Our hands must not murder, but ought to protect. Our hearts should not bear anger and resentment and bitterness toward people, but our hearts should long for God to save those who have sinned against me and Him and those who are far from Him. Our hearts should be burdened for people who have done those things, not bear grudges against them. Our mouths have the power of death, but also the power of life as we declare the gospel over people. The gospel is still the power of God for salvation to those who believe, the Jew first and the Greek. That's us. It's still the power that God uses to bring about new life in your life and in my life. No one has ever been saved apart from the proclamation of the gospel. Maybe you had dreams and visions, but that dream and that vision pointed you to somebody who was obedient to give you words of life, the good news of Jesus. Not just declaring the gospel, but also encouraging people. We were talking about this last night at the dinner table, that our Uh, The generations below us in our generation over the past handful of years have learned the spiritual gift of being negative. And, 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 And how to cut people down from afar and speak evil of people that we don't even know. And we do it in a public manner. Are you with me? But But there is... A power of words. Have you ever had somebody say a word to you that has meant more to you 
than anything else? Ken, Pastor Ken said it so well. I, I, I promise you, if you come into my office on any given day and you look in my left-hand top drawer of my desk, you will find every card that has ever been given to me by members of Seneca Baptist Church. Because words bring life. And some of us, we just need to stop cutting people down and start encouraging them. I'm a dad and I do bad at this. What if they're being knuckleheads, Ryan? Even the knucklehead. It's another Hebrew word, right? Knucklehead. Bad news. There's punishment for murder. All of us probably today have found ourselves with murderous intent. If we're honest today. With our hands, in our hearts, with our mouths, we've all been declared guilty today. Bad news, there's punishment. Jesus tells us here that for those of us who sin against others in our hearts with our words, it's not a human court that we should be concerned with. But there's an eternal court that we've got to answer to. There is a judge who will give us a judgment, and he is a just judge, and, and, and he will not spare any. When we murder in our heart with anger or with our words, our blood or their blood is upon our heads. There is a judgment coming. The death penalty comes for the sin of murder. But there's also a solution. Do you remember the story? Jesus is brought before Pilate. And Pilate, this is John 19, Jesus is brought before Pilate. And Pilate is trying to, in his mind, come up with a way to let Jesus go free. And so what does Jesus or Pilate do? Pilate brings out a murderer and an insurrectionist named Barabbas. Do you remember this? It's the most powerful place I've ever been to is standing on the very place where Pilate condemned Jesus and Barabbas went free. Jesus or Pilate says to the crowd, "Who should I let go? Jesus? I mean, look at him." Innocent, hadn't done anything, good man, or Barabbas? Can you just picture Barabbas, big old beard, got slobber in it, grrr, I don't know how Barabbas looked, okay? Didn't look like a nice guy. Insurrectionist and murderer and everybody knew it. Who should I let go? What do they say? Barabbas. Crucify Jesus. Let Barabbas go free. Listen, we're Barabbas. We're guilty. We're condemned to death. We're Barabbas. But Jesus goes to the chopping block. He takes our sentence upon himself. He dies for us. The innocent dies for the murderous. That's the cross. That's why Jesus died. He was a substitution for us. 
He kept all of the law, never had a wicked thought or word about somebody. He kept the law perfectly. We broke the law entirely. And Jesus gave his life that we might go free and that he might bear the punishment. The solution for our murderous heart is not try harder, be better, but trust Jesus. He has done it for you. God made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. Why? So that in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. He took our sin. He gave us his righteousness. That is the best solution. The innocent died that the murderer might go free. There's a solution. It involves confession, though. You've got to bring that to the Lord today. The healing and the health that you experience as a Christian is directly related to your willingness to confess. And the more clearly you're willing, the more explicitly you're willing to confess your sin, the deeper your healing will go. You confess skin level, you're always going to wrestle with the murderous, in your, murderous intentions in your heart. Bring those things into the light. Third, reconciliation. Look at what he says. Matthew chapter 5. He says, verse 23, So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. He says, reconciliation comes before worship. Remember, it's better to offend our brother through reconciliation than to offend God by keeping our anger alive. Do you hear me? It's better to offend your brother through reconciliation than to offend God by keeping your anger alive. Remember, resentment sins many times over. Resentment tries to kill that person that sinned against you. Resentment will kill your relationship with God. And resentment will eat you alive from the inside out. There is a solution. His name is Jesus. But you've got to confess your sins. And you've got to be willing to be reconciled to both your brother and God. So. I think we've got a couple questions up there. As we end. What areas of my life do I need to confess sin? And with whom do I need to initiate reconciliation? Would you stand with me? I believe that the Lord is speaking to you today. Because he has been speaking to me all week. I believe that the Lord wants to do something in you today. So my challenge is what's your next step? Remember, don't leave the same way you came. 
you have an opportunity to meet with the Lord. Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? Maybe you're in this place and your next step is salvation. You don't know where you'd go if you were to die today. Maybe you've been trying to bank on how good you can be. And all you've found out is your goodness isn't enough. And today Jesus says, come to me. Trust me. I was perfectly good. And took your sin. So that now you can be counted as righteous. Maybe that's your step. Maybe you need to make that decision public. If that's you today, it's just you and me. Um, it's just you and me. Would you just raise your hand and say, that's me, Pastor Ryan. I need to make my decision public. I see you. I need to trust Jesus today. Anybody else? Maybe today you've come and you just need to bring a, a baggage load of past stuff down here to these steps and lay it before a merciful God and say, God, help me weed through all this stuff because I don't know how to do it anymore. And maybe today there's somebody, maybe even in here, that you need to go to and say, you know, forgive me for, I'm sorry for, how can we be reconciled today? So after I pray and we sing, you're going to have an opportunity to respond in whatever way that you need to respond. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for your words. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. Challenging words, convicting words. Father, come in and help us deal with the pain of hurt. Anger, resentment, bitterness, murderous intentions. Harsh words, sarcasm, all of those things. Come in today and move us through there. And Father, make us new. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing.